Hello, and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming blog. Today we have a special guest, part of our interview series, which seems to be going on forever, but what can you do? (laughs) And my guest today is Laureen Wells, who is the CEO of a company called Heaven's Blessings Tiny Zoo. Did I get that right? Yes, that's correct. And Heaven's Blessings Tiny Zoo is a company that makes Christian games, not just video games, but that's what you're primarily focused on today. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself. I've been married for 22 years. Uh, I have four children. I homeschool them. My game development team is entirely volunteer, i.e. that means we have no funding, so nobody gets paid. But we're all just working on these projects because we feel that the Lord called us to work to work on them to reach people for Christ through games, to, to affect culture through games. So what does the name of the company mean exactly? Heaven's Blends Tiny Zoo is rather a long story. I'll try to keep it short. It goes all the way back to the beginning of our homeschool. Uh, actually, my, the beginning of my mom's homeschool. She homeschooled my two youngest siblings, and her homeschool was called Heaven's Gate Academy. Oh, okay. And so I sort of wanted to reflect or honor my mother in the naming of our homeschool. But I also... You know, wanted to make sure that I was honoring God and and the biblical scripture that says the children are blessings from God. Uh, it's not an exact quote, obviously, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do believe that children are blessings from God. And so I called our homeschool Heaven's Blessings Academy. Before we even had children, I already had sort of a company name, although I hadn't actually registered it, but I, ha- I had a bulletin board system, anybody remembers back in the old BBS days, called the Tiny Zoo. And my admin name, my sysop name was the zookeeper. <laughs> We'd always, my husband and I always had thought that Tiny Zoo would be a great company name because you can just sort of incorporate anything and it fits. And we also had a lot of pets at the time before we had children. And people would walk into our living room and, and some of our friends would say, man, you should charge admission for your living room. It's like a zoo in here. So so we have sort of this long standing theme of, of zoo and um, and I want to honor God with my company and my life. And so I was trying, when, when it came time to actually register my business name to make visions, uh, lots of legal advice that I needed to actually register it with a state. And so I was having to decide uh, permanently on a permanent name. And Tiny Zoo didn't seem to really totally honor God. Heaven's Blessings was our our school name and I didn't that didn't completely fit it but I put them together of course I had to do some research on the business names that were already taken there was already a business in Oregon called Heaven's Blessings it was a daycare uh, but I you know you can't conflict with business names so and since I'm not actually operating a zoological park tiny zoo by itself wasn't quite right so I just put Heaven's Blessings Tiny Zoo together and it wasn't taken imagine that and that's hmm. that's what it's been for 10 years now wow 10 years So did the company's creation come at the same time that you started on the game Visions, or did it start before then? Very shortly after I started working on Visions, but not much after. Pretty much right around the same time I got my first volunteer, and it it became clear that he actually was going to help me. Uh, that's, That's about the same time I registered my company name. Ah, okay. So... How did these? How did the volunteer nature of this come about? Well, I was a guild leader in EverQuest. Uh, EverQuest changed my life. <laughs> when did you start playing? When did I start playing? About 2001, I was five months pregnant with my daughter, and I had insomnia. And before I started playing EverQuest, like, you know, around three, four months pregnancy, <laughs> I was participating on all, like, a lot of the baby sites where you can chat with other moms who are pregnant, etc., etc., and yeah. read blogs and stories and news articles and learn about all the terrible, frightening, scary things that can happen to your child. <laughs> it's probably not a good thing to read. <laughs> At three o'clock in the morning, you're finding about this woman who had a miscarriage. No, it's like it doesn't really help the insomnia at all. <laughs> so you lay awake at night going, oh, no, is my baby going to die? And I got my husband EverQuest for his birthday. Of course, then we discovered after buying it that you can only have one account and one person can only play it at a time. And so I had to get my own account to play with him because I like to play with my family. I don't like to play games by myself. And I discovered that while I was playing EverQuest, it would relax me. 
and I would stop worrying and I would stop thinking about all those terrible, frightening things that can happen during pregnancy. And it actually helped me be able to sleep (laughs) because I was still staying up late because I still had the worries and I still had some insomnia. But instead of going to bed at like four and five o'clock in the morning, I was able to go to bed at like two or three o'clock in the morning, which was better. And so that sort of started it. EverQuest was the first game that I played longer than three months. I have never played a game longer than that before. Most games were like a month tops and I was done. I don't really like computer games. Yes, I'm a game developer and I did not like it. computer games. You... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean you're a bad computer game developer. <laughs> it just, they just could not hold my interest until I played EverQuest. EverQuest had the social nature of it that changed everything for me to be able to play with real people in a virtual vis- visual world that the text games yeah you know, of course you know i played games in the 80s and 90s and the graphics were less than and, and so the visual nature of everquest just really it made it come alive for me and and the real people the real people changed it it, it wasn't all pre-programmed it was real people and to be able to help people and huh. So that changed it for me, and I ended up playing EverQuest for about three and a half years, and after about six months, I I was a guide, and after only three months, I was invited as an officer to a guild. After about a year, I became a guild leader of my own. I had filled all of my character slots, so I had... <laughs> I'm altaholic. Yes, it's true. I never ever leveled very high because I played too many characters. Uh, they're all fun. But so I was a guild leader of my own guild, and I was an officer in another guild simultaneously. I learned a lot of leadership skills that way. I got to learn how to coordinate people online in a virtual environment, you know, using tools like Teamspeak and you know, and basic game chat, uh, text chat. Uh, I learned about. Uh, what they called at the time, tell hell. I haven't really heard that com- that terminology in a long time, but that's basically when you have seven conversations going on simultaneously and you try not to send the wrong message to the wrong person. <laughs> I had that experience at WoW. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was a little more awkward in, in EverQuest because you have all these different windows and you have to make sure you click on the correct one and you have oh. person. Or, or you can, of course, type slash tell player name, but... That's tedious. <laughs> it, it, it can get tedious. And, and if you use the, the tab key, I think it was a tab key. There was some special macro. I don't remember exactly anymore. I'm sure I could remember it if I tried to play again. But anyway, there was a special macro you could use to tab through the last people that you were talking through. And, and every once in a while, you accidentally hit the wrong name. So... But it was interesting. It's just, it makes it makes you keep make sure that everything you say is clean and acceptable to be heard by all people. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good uh, censorship tool. Self censorship. <laughs> Never say anything that you don't want the wrong person to hear. No. <laughs> anyway, so I learned a lot of leadership skills through that. Being an officer and a guild leader, I learned how you know the importance of if you have one person who is a cancer to the guild they can actually tear apart your whole team and it's sometimes it's better to do the painful thing of getting rid of that one person than it is to watch your whole guild get destroyed from the inside that was a hard thing to learn and i still have difficulty with it but it's an important leadership skill you also learn to recruit you learn to talk to people you learn to identify talents in other people you learn to identify quality personalities that that fit your particular type of guild ours was a fairly casual guild you know so we wanted people to talk to people to hang out with people who would group with us so you learn some recruiting type methods and that's another important leadership skill and so i was also going through a time where i was searching i guess searching my soul praying asking god what can i do for you i i'd all all my life since high school i thought i was going to be a missionary however i married an unbeliever and that didn't really work out like I thought it was going to. And after 10 years of marriage, it became clear that I was not going to be a missionary. And I, my children were growing up and they weren't really seeing me doing anything for Christ. I mean, I was teaching them and raising them. And that's important in itself. But they weren't really seeing me live my life for Christ. And I thought that was important. And so I started asking God, what can I do that my children will see me living for you? Our pastor had a sermon 
one day and he was talking about all the things we could do for church. And I walked up to him after church and I said, here I am. What do you want me to do? And he kind of looked at me with his expression on his face like, not you. I wasn't talking to you. It was the weirdest expression. And I was like, but I'm here. What do you want me to do? And he said to me, whatever the Lord wants you to do. I was like, that doesn't help. <laughs> about a week later, all along, I've been, you know, I've been teaching my kids. I need to back up just a tiny bit. And, and I do teach them through games. I've been teaching them through games. So it was about a week after that encounter, I was in the WAB beta and I, and I met up with this other guy. We were in a group and I found out he was a programmer, but he was out of work and had been out of work for 10 years, actually. And I said, well, how would you like to help me make a game? And he said, sure, sounds like fun. I go, well, what if it's a Christian game? <laughs> Will that be a problem? He says, nope, I'm a Christian. I'd be fine with that. I'm like, really? You're kidding, right? <laughs> He's like, no, let's make a game. <laughs> and so it, it really started just, God just dropped it in my lap that quick, that easy. And he helped me for about two years. That's how it started. I had a friend who encouraged me. She said, well, you get all these people to volunteer to work on your raids and stuff in EverQuest. Why don't you get them to volunteer to help you make a game? And so she she encouraged me and continued that way. And that's really how it started. I just took what the skills I learned in EverQuest and applied them to game development. Wow, it actually helped. It really did. <laughs> yeah, because I am definitely not the guild leader type, so that probably wouldn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer to go it alone as much as possible. <laughs> but yeah, I could see, you know, game skills can translate to real world skills if you have the knowledge and if God wants you to do certain things that you're skilled at. Like, for example, my blog is kind of the output of my common interest in video games and in theology. So that's where I ended up going into my bizarre ministry. <laughs> To talk mm -hmm. about video games and Christianity at the same time, which mm -hmm. I have not heard anyone else doing at all. So that's when I get to meet people like yourself. <laughs> there are more of us than you think. There are a lot of you out there. It's just that a lot of you are uh, hiding, <laughs> for lack of a better term, and it's hard to find. We're not hiding so much. We just don't have funding to make ourselves known. Yeah, perhaps that's what it is. <laughs> In terms of the company, are you for-profit at all, or is it a non-profit company? We're registered as for-profit. Okay. Because someday we hope to be able to make a profit. Currently, that's not really happening. But the idea is to be able to make profit and and then give tithes and, you know, to be able to choose what charities we want to donate to. I did consult with a business counselor at the onset of the creation of of my company, you know, before I registered the company, he advised me not to go nonprofit primarily because, well, first of all, it's very difficult to even get that status. And second, in order to do it, you have to identify a single entity or group of people that your business benefits. Oh, okay. So to be a nonprofit, you have to say, for example, my company benefits all elderly people who need wheelchairs. So you have to identify a particular target group. Huh. And we can't really do that. I mean, we're making a game and, and any profit we made would have to be donated to a particular cause. And that cause doesn't, oh, so we're benefiting all Christian gamers. You know, that's not a real Thing. highly identified <laughs> need you know in society it's too difficult and a little too intangible to really accomplish that so we just you know, i just said you know what we really want is to be able to to make a profit and not have to worry about did we meet all the laws for the requirements just maintain non-profit status etc cetera, etc cetera. so i just didn't go that way yeah, legal right. complications. About it. Too many legal complications and, and prayer, really. That I just felt like that's not really what God wanted me to do. So, Did you make any games prior to Visions? Which is an MMO, just for those wondering. Yes, Visions is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. And we're in our second stage alpha again. I started out making Visions 10 years ago. Then in 2000... 2006, I attended CGDC, the Christian Game Developers Conference, for the first time. I really should have attended two years earlier, but I was scared. 
when I finally attended, <laughs> there was a <laughs> challenge given to make a gay Christian game devs. I think it was at the time. They had they had a one month challenge to make a game in a month, but their challenge was at a time when it didn't really fit with my team's schedule. Like I kind of need my programmers to actually be there to help make the game. And two of them were going on vacation during the month that the Christian game devs was holding this challenge. So what we decided to do instead is that, because we thought it was still a good idea, but instead of joining their challenge, we decided, well, we'll just do it as a team building exercise and we'll start a month later. Huh. And huh. so this, we set a three month timeline, theoretically, so that we could actually make a complete fun game. And that's when Chariots was born. Chariots was supposed to be a three month team building exercise. In reality, it took us 19 months, and it still isn't to the point where we wanted it to be, but we're no longer developing that game. It just reached a stopping point. Some of the developers that were working on it moved on to other things. Just a variety of things happened. Too much to talk about in a short interview. So Chariots is a racing game, I'm guessing. But Chariots is a, it's a small-scale multiplayer racing game, up to 14 players. You can play over LAN or hosted internet connection, or you can play by yourself. It is available as a single player option as well. And you have to actually earn your horses and your chariots, starting out with foot races, which apparently is unconventional, <laughs> I've been told. I don't actually play racing games that much, but usually I guess you just choose your car and you race, and we didn't do it that way. We have more of a quest, a little bit of an RPG feel to our racing game. You can actually explore the entire island without having to race. There are quests that you can do to earn special mounts and special vehicles. There are 13 cities. Each city has at least two races. Some of them have three races. They're all on a miniature version of the island of Cyprus. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I'm sure there's more, but I can't remember right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so that game emerged as a game, and then Visions yeah. production it continued. It was launched in 2008. We, we completed production in 2008. And Visions development kept continuing through this. And then we picked up Visions. The idea the, through making Chariots is that everything we worked on in Chariots would then be able to be implemented into Visions because we were using the same engine at that time. So the idea is that even though we're working on Chariots, we're still kind of working on Visions because we'll be able to use all the code and all the models in, in Visions, and so it will still be okay. What actually ended up happening is we ended up having to change engines, and so we lost most of the code. We still have the models, but all the models have to be converted to a new type. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so we sort of have the models. We don't have the code, but it was still a good learning experience. Uh, this is going to be part of Visions, or are you keeping them totally separate? They're totally separate. Okay. There so, will be chariot races in Visions and oh, other types of races in Visions, but it's not Visions. I mean, Chariots isn't Visions, and Visions isn't Chariots. And there were a lot of people who tried to make that connection, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not it. <laughs> They're not, it Visions <laughs> is not a racing game. <laughs> chariots is like one one hundredth of what Visions is. And so Visions is a much larger game with much more content planned. So. so we've been dancing around visions. So let's actually talk about it. <laughs> okay. So what is the concept of visions? So it is an MMORPG, yes. but it's an MMORPG in a non-traditional setting. And I'm yes. going to guess with non-traditional objectives. So how did well, the that's... idea for it come about? Okay, so how did the idea come about? I can start there. Again, I homeschool my children. I discovered, particularly with my oldest son, that games can be powerful educational tools. Unfortunately, however, most of the games are powerfully teaching completely useless things, like which Pokemon is best against which Pokemon, and things <laughs> like that, and which skill you need to learn to get to the end of the civilization progression tree. And... Well, if you're in Jeopardy, it might help someday. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, unlikely, though. So I, I was looking at all these games, and I'm like, we have the technology. Why don't we have better games? My husband and I spent a whole lot more than we could actually afford on trying to buy educational games. 
most of them were like tests with pretty graphics. <laughs> they were not fun, and the kids did not want to play them. And this deepened my question, why aren't there better games? There could be games that are educational, that are actually fun. Because, obviously, they're te- these other games are teaching. Whether we like it or not, they are teaching. They're just not teaching anything useful. And even in EverQuest, I memorized hundreds of recipes in order to advance my trade skills. Oh, EverQuest didn't have, like, a drop-down list or anything? Uh, no. Oh, my. <laughs> no. <laughs> you have to memorize everything. It's like taking or notes. Or go to Alakazam's, which is where most of us went. Uh, Alakazam's.com had all the recipes, and so we would memorize them there and then use them in the game. And so I was memorizing things like a rat ear and a fire beetle eye is a, a rat ear pie. You know, delete, or No, actually, rat ear and a clump of dough is a rat ear pie terribly useful things like that that we use every day in our home kitchens right so <laughs> i you know I, I i'm seeing this and i'm like why aren't we learning anything useful and so part of it came from that is just deciding that we can do better than this and why aren't we then the other aspect of course is is the scriptural aspect and trying to teach my children to memorize their scriptures and they wouldn't <laughs> They didn't want to. It wasn't fun. And I thought, well, why can't we make it fun? Of course we can make it fun. We have the technology again. And I started looking for Bible games and Christian games. They weren't fun. (laughs) No, they are not fun. They were just like tests with pretty graphics. The ones that I found, and, and of course this is like 15 years ago. Some of them have changed and there are better games out there now. But at that time, there weren't. And so the idea had started to grow, and I started making little games for my children. I made little card games. Most of them do no longer exist. I didn't keep them. I just, they were impromptu things that I would do with my children. And so I guess I had some natural game developer instincts that I wasn't really aware of at the time. They just seemed like, well, this is what you do to teach your children. And because it worked. (laughs) So we create our own little games out of paper, out of cards, out of toys, you know, whatever we had available. And they would learn and it was fun. So then I get to the point where I'm wanting to make something bigger and something better. And the only kind of game that I like to play is an MMO. I, I don't like the other kind of games. I just don't. And I don't want to make a game that I don't like to play. So Visions turned into the biggest, most expensive, most difficult kind of game that it is possible to make, an MMO. Very ambitious. (laughs) Or naive. (laughs) Actually, I don't think I was naive. I knew what I was doing. I just knew I didn't want to do anything else. If I don't enjoy it, I don't want to do it. It just wasn't worth it to me to make something I wasn't going to play. You know, there was a lot of prayer. I spent about a year trying to find somebody else to make my game idea thinking we have the technology and they have the the team they can make it right but nobody wants to make my game so how did it get said in the second century well because i wanted to include scripture in the game i wanted it to be a bible game it didn't always have the name visions for about the first year we didn't really know what to call it so i just referred to it as the bible game obviously that's not a very compelling name but that's what I referred to it as, because uh, I, I actually have two ideas. I, I, I really had another a fantasy game I really wanted to make also, a Christian fantasy game, based on my friend's game system called Claymore. But when I prayed about it, I kept coming across these verses that said, uh, give unto God of your first fruits. Over and over and over, I kept coming across those verses, give unto God of your first fruits. And I really felt like that meant I needed to do the Bible game first, and then I could do the fantasy game later. Little did I know it was going to take 10 years to make the Bible game. I was thinking maybe two or three, four tops. Here we are, 10 years later, still not done yet. Anyway, that's another story entirely. But that's what I was thinking. So I'm like, okay, we'll make the Bible game first. Well, logically... It didn't make sense to start in Genesis and go all the way through to Revelation because people don't live for two or four thousand years. Uh, about four thousand years. You could have had a time machine. 
we could, but that's not biblical. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really want to go with the time machine back in time steampunk kind of idea. Although, you know, now that I'm using Big World, that would fit perfectly because the avatars are in steampunk outfits. Ah. which is problematic to change those now because we have to implement some custom avatars that are not in steampunk outfits uh, but we didn't have big world at that time it was not accessible to us at that time and so when i was designing the game i also uh, we thought well let's put them actually in new testament times where they can meet jesus and be able to talk to the disciples etc etc but then the issue comes up with, well, first of all, the whole Bible hasn't been written yet at that point in time. And so then we, and second, if people think they're actually in that time, they'll think they can change the Bible. And I can't have that happen for two reasons. One, I have no intention of changing the Bible. And two, we're not told what the alternative would be if things were different. We don't have that answer. And I do not want to presume to guess what that might be. So we set it at 100 AD, at the point where the last of the New Testament scriptures had been written, and all the apostles, as far as we know, the last one died in 90 AD. So we're about 10 years beyond the last point of the last apostle living. And so the whole Bible is done. Scriptures haven't been compiled yet. So the point of the game, the, the scriptural point, there's other points also, the scriptural point of the game is to collect all the scriptures and compile your own Bible. By doing this, they'll experience it through visions and dreams, and they'll be able to go back and experience some of the things from the Bible through visions and dreams, thus the name of the game. So we can still implement some of those things we wanted to do to be able to meet Jesus, to meet Moses, to see the creation of the world, maybe, with Adam and Eve, to see the parting of the Red Sea, to see the destruction of Jericho and uh, marching around the city. Uh, so we'll be able to see and experience all those things without the idea that they can change it, because it's only written one way and it has to end one way, and that's the only way we know. And then at the same time, they will also get to experience Roman history and the start of the early church which as a citizen in that culture, we don't know what all the lives of the citizens were. And so it's very easy to put a player in the role of a citizen in Rome and they can live out their own existence as a Roman citizen, however they want. And so they get to learn the skills and professions that were some of them, obviously not everything possible, but we have 19 chosen. Uh, skills and professions for players to learn and do. 19, that's a lot. Uh, yes, plus then the 20th section is taken by general skills that everyone learns. And so there's a lot for them to do. So we have professions, we have history, and we have scripture. So there's a lot for them to do, a lot for people to experience in the game. We have those three tracks. And then we also want to include some flavor quests. I call them flavor quests, for lack of a better term. Just little, simple, fun things that are kind of pointless. Ch chasing butterflies, collecting caterpillars, taming pets. You know, just fun things like that that have no point. They're just fun. Um, and you get little rewards and things like that for them. That's your concept. Does that answer your concept idea? That does indeed. Okay. <laughs> now... I, I think the it's a good idea not to have you directly interact with biblical characters, precisely because MMO players are want to try to break the game in as many ways as possible. Yes, yes, uh, that was validated for me like from the very onset, for the, the day we almost the day it probably was you know within a month or whatever. But when we opened our forums, one of the first troll posts we had was great. Do I get to kill Jesus? And I'm like, oh man. No. So no, you don't. Sorry, not in the design. Um. <laughs> not in real life either. <laughs> Did the setting dictate the game mechanics in any way? Because most MMOs are about fighting people or killing other players. So this makes it very difficult to make a game that's a little more on the off-kilter side, <laughs> dealing with different subject matter. So how exactly did you work around dealing with which what a turbulent time period with violence and gladiatorial combat and all that sort of thing? There is actually fighting in Visions. Okay, there is fighting. 
much to many people's disappointment, yes. Because, as you point out, there were gladiators, there were brig- brigands, there were thieves, there were... I, I mean, they had just as much sin in Roman times as we have now. I would wager to say, if not more, but looking at American society, I can't say that there was probably more. It's probably just the same. People have been the same throughout history. And where there are people, there is sin and there is evil and there is corruption and godly people are called to to vanquish that evil the christian church of course is called to rescue them from sin in the old testament times they didn't they didn't have the the blood of christ to redeem them you know so sometimes they were called to eradicate evil more directly but they were called to eradicate evil and and sometimes that is through warfare, and sometimes it is through fighting, and and sometimes you just need self-defense, and so that that actually is in the game. However, we're not implementing death, permadeath, simply because I don't like it. It's not fun to me to have my character get killed and not be able to play anymore. So we have ways around that. Uh, there were physicians during that time. In fact, the Apostle Luke was a physician, and so what we're using are near-death rescues and they will be saved and they'll wake up in a in an infirmary and, and be able to continue playing as the same character so is the combat system highly developed or is it just basic enough so that you can get by in design it is highly developed we have an entire three fighting classes and then we also have an an entertainment class where players can actually train to be a gladiator so they fight for sport rather than for comp for for battle so we have hunters we have mercenaries and we have soldiers so those are your fighting classes and then we also have athletes and athletes can train to be gladiators so a total of four fighting classes on some level the idea is that they will have to actually learn the skills in order to fight you don't just automatically know everything instantly. You'll have to learn to punch. You'll have to learn to kick, stomp, slash, parry. Each of those are different skills. So they'll have to train in them and advance them after they complete the training quest. Does that go for so, most professions? or, or I, I guess mean, all professions. Okay, so there's Everything a lot of training. From baking and mining to music, to physicians, to fighting. Everybody has to complete a quest to learn a skill and then they have to advance the skill by using it. Okay, this sounds a lot more like a real life simulator. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, training my skills in a different historical environment, but mostly the same as you would in real life, except for the obvious game abstractions. <laughs> Is that intentional? To some degree, maybe not as directly as you've stated it, <laughs> but to some degree. How did you decide to make the map of the game one eighteenth of the actual geographic size? I mean, obviously, it's <laughs> going to be too long to walk from one end of Cyprus to the other if you're going on foot. <laughs> so how exactly did you decide to make it a certain size relative to, let's say, actual geography? By default. I have the entire Mediterranean satellite digital elevation data at 90 meters resolution in one degree terrain chunks that I downloaded for free. I think it's the NASA website. Anyway, it's available to anyone for free. Anyone can go get it. And so I've downloaded it because it's at 90 meters resolution. So this is nowhere near military spec, but it's close enough for game purposes. So it allows us to actually build the actual terrain, the way it looks, without having to put in every mountain by hand. I like that. But a one degree terrain tile in real life is approximately 110 miles or kilometers. I think it's 110 kilometers, actually. Anyway, so Big World allows you to make up to a 10 kilometer terrain, but my computer would not process it at that size, <laughs> honestly. So... I processed it at six kilometers and that worked and that's how we arrived at the decision to use the six kilometer terrain because that's what my computer would do. <laughs> and if it works, it works. It works and 
I, it, one kilometer was just plain too small. It was way too small. There was no way we were going to get the cities to fit in the places we need them to fit. I, I really wanted it bigger, but my computer said no. So six kilometers what worked, and that's what it was. And so six kilometer terrain worked out to be approximately one eighteenth scale. Does so, does this limit your decision to have fast travel or related things? No. Okay. Not really. Okay. So do you have well, a fast travel system? Because walking all the time or using a horse, <laughs> while fun in itself, is not necessarily the best for convenience sake. Right. We do have we have one fast travel element planned. We may come up with others as you know as we're able to experience that. But players will have to do the Isaiah 4031 quest to earn the ability to call an eagle to their rescue. The eagle will be able to fly them to wherever their friend is. Probably going to have limited use of that. So like maybe once or twice per day. And then they can purchase extra uses if they need to fly more than once. But that's that's the plan for fast travel. Because I, I totally understand... When you play a game, you want to play with your friends. And if your friend is an hour across the map, you're not going to get there that day. And that really kills the game experience. I know I want to play with my friends when I play. And so I do want to make it possible for people to play with their friends. Yeah, and you don't want it to be so somebody can just teleport wherever they want to, which is somewhat like how World of Warcraft is now. Right. Which is right, just instantaneous yeah. teleportation to whatever it is you need to do. Yeah, that's not very historically accurate. <laughs> <laughs> no. It works in World of Warcraft because they're in a fantasy realm, right? So yeah. they can do that. That works for them. And and I'm actually fine with that. I, I don't have a problem with it. The problem is I'm trying to create a historic environment. And even using an eagle is bending the rules an awful lot. Yeah, it's not a flying map, but, but it's, it's game. close. It's close. still a game, you know, and so on some level you do have to break the rules in order to make it fun. So that's where I break it. I break it by using an eagle to get them where they need to go so the game can still be fun. But I am trying to maintain some level of historical accuracy. So having magic teleporter pads that they can step on with the glowing lights that port them to wherever they need to go <laughs> it's not is immersive not particularly going to fit into the roman atmosphere no <laughs> about player housing tell us a little about that the intent is that players will not only be able to own a house but actually be able to build it and design it according to their desires we're having a little trouble implementing the full concept of that but we hope to be able to do it within some degree. Like they might be able to choose a floor plan and then be able to decorate it with items that they create. They'll be able to have property to grow plants, to grow farms, to raise animals. Well, first they have to tame the animals or, or buy them from a friend. And then they'll be able to raise them and hopefully breed them and have little properties inside the game. You can have a real estate mogul? No, I don't think they'll be able to buy up all the property. They just they can have one property and they have to choose a size and there will be limited sizes. Because you could have created a digital market. Well, maybe, but I'm trying to keep it keep yeah. it fun for all players. Keep it as a game and not necessarily a means to make real world money, I'm guessing. It needs to be fun for all players. The truth is, I'm the one who can never afford to do all that stuff. I'm always the one who's at the end, the short end of the rope. I'm the one who can't afford to maintain my account. And I have to go offline for like three or four months at a time or six months at a time or whatever. Because I can't afford it. So I don't want to be the game developer that encourages the people who have all the money to control the game. I just, I don't like that game model yeah and it's not really it's not fun. fun for me it's not fun for most people <laughs> right it's not fun for 98 percent of the players the two percent who have money control the game and nobody else has fun i'm trying really hard not to go there it's oh, one of the reasons oh. i don't like the free-to-play model i really hate that every mmo on the planet is going free to play right now because that pushes us into a corner where we almost have to go free to play or our game can't launch because I hate the free-to-play model in that only people who have lots of money can win the game. We're trying to find ways to work around that, working really hard to work around it. But honestly, 
the games are a lot more fair and a lot more fun on a subscription model. I would agree with that. I, I think that some of the free-to-play games, or I think more of the buy-to-play games, are a little better at this because they force you to buy the game first and then they sell you content updates, but that's a right. different model entirely. Right, that, exactly. Uh, what about mounts? Do I get a chariot? Yes, if, okay. if you can afford one or if you can make one. We want to have players be able to make most of the items in the game. So you might have a friend make one for you and you go collect all the materials or you might learn a skill to make it yourself or you might win it in a race. Just a few different ways you can get a chariot when we get all that implemented. We're still in the alpha right now. None of that's implemented yet, but that's the goal. And this game's been developed and designed for 10 years straight. Yes and no. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> it seems like there are a lot of concepts in this game that may have been added later, right? As you've been thinking about how to make this world come to life. So what does it take to make a game for 10 years? The starts and stops and all. I'd say 95% of it was designed from the start. Okay. To be honest, okay. I had all these ideas at the start. We've had to implement some free-to-play concepts at, as we went along, as more free-to-play games come out, and we're like, man, guys, we're going to have to do it this way. I hate that, but we have to. So, so some of those concepts have come around. We did change the structure of the professions about four years ago, maybe. Not exactly sure. I know which developer it was that helped me restructure it. Uh, she had some brilliant ideas. And so we did restructure it so it worked better with a more gradual release plan. It enabled us to be able to release smaller portions of the game sooner without having to have the entire quest system developed before we could release it. So that was brilliant implementation, change to the design. But at the foundation, most of the concepts were already there. We just changed sort of the way we'll release the quest system. More of a a progression tree rather than a, a bush, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't have to all be there all at once to work. What does it take? A mixture of faith, perseverance, and insanity. In equal quantities? <sighs> a little heavy on the insanity, maybe. Especially like, in MMO, <laughs> I think. That was a bit ambitious, maybe. Uh, that's what people tell me. I, I don't know. I, I walk by faith. Uh, I try not to walk by sight because when I open my eyes, I get scared. I just can't think about it too much. I, can't, I just focus on what I have to do today to get the things done I need to do today. I focus on what my developers need to do to get their goals met this week. It's as the old saying goes, how, how do you eat an elephant? I don't know why anybody wants to eat an elephant, but you do it one bite at a time, right? So... You can't swallow the whole thing at once. You just do it little by little by little. And even if it's very slow and very small, it's still progress. And progress is better than no progress. So we just keep marching along that way. Yeah. Well, the game is in alpha now, so... <laughs> yes, again, for the third time. For the third time, okay. <laughs> I, I hope that you do not have to scrap another engine. Uh, no, I don't believe we will. I'm, I'm fairly certain that if we can't do it in Big World, we can't do it at all. Big World is designed from the ground up to be an MMO engine. Big World meets all of our requirements. It allows a seamless terrain, which we have now for the first time ever in any iteration of Visions. Uh, so that was really exciting for us this last month. We started out, well, my very first developer, he started trying to build the engine himself. One guy building an MMO engine by himself was very brave and very ambitious, and it was all we could afford at the time. He was out of work, and I had no money, and so that's all we could afford. We could only afford to do it ourselves. Then someone came along and donated the Torque Game engine to us. That's the original TGE, the $99 TGE. They donated it to us. No, we could not afford a $99 engine even. That was We really had no money. They donated it, and we worked on that for about a year and a half, I think, and we ran into roadblocks. 
primarily with terrain, but also with performance and other things we were trying to do. Basically, we couldn't walk because there was so much lag. And someone came along and donated the TSE engine to us, which is a precursor to TGEA, the torque shader engine. And that worked for a little while. Tried to use, I can't remember if that was when we were using Atlas Terrain or not. It may have been. The Atlas Terrain was really... It was awesome because we could make a huge, huge terrain. It was like 32,000 pixels by 32,000 pixels, and so it was, it, was, it was gigantic. And it handled the distance pretty well, but we could not edit it and we could not paint it. That seems like so a we problem. Kind of, it was kind of a problem, yes. <laughs> so we were like creating little rocks and stuff to put down for paths, and basically we had to create 3D models for everything in the game. And that began to create a lag problem again. And then I think it was right around that time we started working on chariots. So while we were working on chariots, that sort of gave Garage Games a little bit more time to work on their terrain. And by the time chariots came out, the torque engine was up to TGEA. So we tried that and we tried the new modified terrain. And that kind of worked. So again, we had to scrap our TGEA. TSE code to upgrade to TGEA because most of it wasn't compatible. We had to totally scrap the entire terrain. We had to start over building again. At this point, we had decided no longer to work on Jerusalem area, though. So for TGE and TSE, we were trying to build start in Jerusalem. And we learned a lot of things about Jerusalem. For one, it's huge. It's massive. And everybody knows about it, <laughs> except us. Um <laughs> So we were having to learn massive amounts of, of archaeology and architecture and, and history and just everything just to be able to create the city. And it was huge, and the engine was having trouble handling it. And it was really difficult to build such a large city and fill it with content with such a small team. And then we had the added problem of there were several professions that were completely ignored because there's no bodies of fishable water near Jerusalem. There's the Dead Sea, but it's yeah, there's no fish. salty and there's no fish there. <laughs> it's, it's basically, we couldn't do it in that area. And so we decided to move back to Cyprus since we'd been working on it with chariots. We were more familiar with it now and it had everything we needed. We could put every profession on the island, including fishing, including Navy, including everything. We could do everything right off of Cyprus it was small, contained. The cities were much smaller and easier to manage. Not as many people know the history of Cyprus. So if <laughs> you mess up a little bit, we're not going to have like 10 million people going, that's wrong. It, of course, it's still a game. And some of it we simply can't make totally accurate just because it's a game and we're working on a small scale. But we're trying to make as much accurate as we can. And so... It's important to me that the history is accurate as best as possible. So it was easier to start in a smaller area. So we did that. So by TGEA, we had moved to working in Cyprus again. And again, we ran into terrain problems. Garage Games released T3D. And T3D looked really promising. They'd improved the networking. They'd improved terrain. They'd improved the shaders. They'd improved a lot of things. There were people who were making online games using T3D. People had showed some released games that they were making. I no longer remember the titles of them. Please don't ask. I'm not going to. <laughs> we found games that were working in T3D, so we switched again. So that was our fourth switch. We had to scrap all of our terrain again. We had to scrap most of our code, although not all of it. And all of our models still worked. I didn't have to reconvert any models. But we did have to scrap a lot. And, and of course, starting over on the terrain again gets really hard after a while to rebuild the same thing again. So we started over in T3D and we worked on that for two years. And we got all the way through to our first beta on that. We actually had quests working. Some of our quests, we had a, some of our quest system was working. We had inventory working. We didn't have the minimap working. And... But we had character selection and we were starting to work on some of the custom costumes available for the characters. And then Garage Games released an update that broke our game. And we needed the update because the update fixed some sound issues and some shading issues and some other technological issues that, that really needed to be fixed. But it broke performance. 
totally broke performance. And at first, uh, the release of their update coincided with a crash of my video card. So we didn't catch it right away. At first, I thought that... So when my video card crashed, I had to put in an old video card just to get my computer running again. So for about two months, from about mm, September, October until November... I thought that the problem was with my video card and that the problem was because it was an ATI card instead of an NVIDIA. So I was trying to get the funds to be able to get an NVIDIA card again to see if that would work. Of course, that didn't really happen for a long time. But And most of my team, ironically, had ATI cards, so nobody could really test an NVIDIA card. It was really weird. Uh, so we're going along and we're like, okay, well, there's got to be a way to fix this. And I'm writing to Garage Games and they're like, well, we're looking into it. We're not sure what's going on. Why are you having issues? Maybe it's your code. I'm like, it can't be our code. It was working here and now it's not working. <sighs> right around November, I got a new developer on the team and he had like the computer system to die for. He had 12 gig of RAM. He had a super video card, an NVIDIA video card with two or four gig of, of video RAM on, on the video card. Uh, he just had a massive system, and it was an NVIDIA brand card, and he could not run the game. It lagged, <laughs> Jeez. even for him. That sort of set off some alarms, <laughs> very loud <laughs> alarms, going, something is seriously wrong with this engine. And we reached a point where we either had to shut down or change engines, which was really hard because we'd finally got to a point where we had quests, we had custom characters, we had inventory, we had a lot of things we'd been working on for two years. To restart again. And we had to restart again. At Christmas, you know, by December, we had just, it was like, okay, we either cancel visions or we switch. There just is no way out of this. We can't start over with with torque there was just no way to fix what was broken in torque in a reasonable amount of time and right around christmas hero engine uh, released a free version or a free invitation normally they charged money to be able to use hero engine but i had seen hero engine at a cgdc demo a few years earlier and they had collaborative world building which is something we really really wanted and so i grabbed that free opportunity and we tried it for a month the collaborative world building was awesome. The pipeline was torturous. The The art pipeline just killed us. And the customer support system left a lot to be desired as well. And at the same time, one of our previous developers, he wasn't active on the team, but he was still following along with our progress and what was going on. And and he gathered the, you know, the, okay, guys, it's, it's this or nothing kind of situation we were in. And he offered to buy the Big World license for us if we would switch to Big World. Well, I had just switched to Hero. And so I'm like, I don't think the team can handle another switch. I don't think they can. We just switched a month ago. And he's like, you got to try Big World. You really, you've just got to do it. This is the engine. I'm like, is there a way I can demo it? And... He said, well, I have a free seat on my account. They don't have a demo for Big World, by the way. You can't demo Big World. Ah. You just have to bite the bullet and go for it. But I wasn't ready to do that because I was trying to protect my team and our progress. And so he gave me a free seat on his team because he had 25 seats available. So he saw total and he still had some available. So he gave me one of his seats to try it out. And so he let me look at the big world demo that comes with the license and I walked around and one of the major things between hero and big world is when I was walking around the hero engine I felt like I could make a game with this but when I walked around the big world engine I had this feeling like I want to play this game I want to play this game and that was that was the moment it changed for me that was the moment I realized it's got to be this engine. This is it. And so we switched. I, I accepted his offer to buy the license for me. And we switched to Big World. And I, I am convinced that this is it. That that's the right thing. So that's a total of six engine changes that we've been through. Mind-boggling. And we started in Big World in January of 2012. That's why we're only at second stage alpha after 10 years because we've really only been working in big world for a year and a half 
Well, uh, I guess that's a lot of progress, considering. It's a lot of progress for a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, but you've been developing the game for so long that you know what you want in it already. You just have yeah. to figure out how to make it come to life. Right. We have to learn the engine. This big world is totally different from anything we've ever experienced in Torque or Hero. So we have to learn a brand new engine. And also, all of Big World's models are backwards. Every single piece of art has to be turned around. I don't have any idea why they did that. But compared to, and I have worked with Unity also, but so compared to Unity and Torque, and granted, that's not the largest repertoire of game engines, but that's what I've worked with. Everything in Big World is backwards, so there you go. Um, <laughs> so we have to change everything. So we still can use most of our art, but it all has to be tweaked. The, the skeletons have to be changed. All the nodes have to be renamed. The animations have to be modified. And the models have to be turned around backwards. So there's a lot of work that we have to do to get anything into the game. That's ooh, why it's taken ooh. us a year and a half to get to second stage alpha. <laughs> Uh, but you're there, which is good. Yeah, we are there. We're about halfway through our second stage alpha now. One of the biggest milestones for stage two was seamless zoning. And it took us about six weeks to get that figured out and implemented. But it's done. We've got three zones now, all seamlessly connected and available in the alpha. So that's been really exciting. So there's no projected release date for this, I would guess. No, it's too hard to do that with a volunteer team. Yeah, because you never know when you're going to have the time to finish right parts of it exactly. i don't know when people are going to be able to put in 12 20 hour weeks or 12 to 20 or if they're not going to be able to work for four weeks straight you know i just it's impossible but it will get done it will because i have a very dear friend marcel who has been reminding me that god does not bring you this far on a journey to abandon you and he's brought us all this way through all these changes, through all this time. He's not going to abandon us. He set us out to make this game, and he will help us finish it. I think it speaks to the kind of dedication you really need to make a game with a volunteer team and do something that is completely unexpected and that you have to dedicate so much time to. But God is leading you through this, and I, I, do, I will pray for you and wish for the best for this. So, Thank you. It takes a really special kind of volunteer, too. I had, uh, there was uh, some other game developers that I know were sort of making mocking comments once about how, you know, volunteering, usually people ask for a volunteer to work for a week or two, um, but I am asking people to work for a year or two or five. <laughs> Uh, it takes a really special kind of volunteer, a really dedicated volunteer, one who isn't doing it for me. No, no one will work for me that long. I'm just a person, and I have my own human issues. They have to be doing it for God. That's really the only kind of volunteer that can really stay the distance on this team. And God has sent me some really amazing volunteers, um, people who have excellent skills, Sometimes they're very, very gifted, but the jobs out in the world haven't given them a chance to prove themselves. And they're able to use those skills on our team. In at least two instances that I know of, it actually helped them get promotions in their, their real life jobs as well. Oh, that's cool. And, and in other instances, you know, it's just helped them develop and, and I want to say hone their own skills to just improve them. I can't say... For on their behalf, whether it's been fun or not, I don't know, but <laughs> I, I do think it has, I don't know, God sends great people to work on this team, and I couldn't do it alone. There's absolutely no way I can do it alone. I'm not a programmer, so he just keeps sending them, and it's great. Well, thank you very much for uh, coming on the Theology Gaming Podcast to talk about this. Not a lot of people would be willing to talk in such exhaustive detail about their games, you know? <laughs> but this has been also a game in a journey at the same time, so I think that's, yes, that's why. All right. Yes, it has. So we're offering 1,000 downloads of Visions at 50% off, so if anybody wants to get in on the alpha, now's the time. All right, and what is the name of the website? It's visionsgame.com. Okay, visionsgame.com. Right, and the store is actually store.tinyzoo.com, so if it takes you to another site, don't freak out. That's where it belongs. 
All right, now is the time for a shameless self-promotion. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. So this has been the Theology Gaming Podcast. If you liked what you heard, find us on iTunes and give us a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Or five stars, whatever. Tell us if you liked it. Tell us if you didn't. Etc. 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 I do this every time. So. <laughs> uh, thank you, uh, Lorraine Wells, for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. And please pray for the game project. I imagine yes. it's going to be a success. Thank you. <laughs> we, we, we welcome all prayers. Thank you. Uh, this is Zach, Zach signing off. God bless you.